Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast. My name is Ray McLennan. And it's with me, Nigel T. Best. Raymondo, have you cooled down or are you still sweltering? You know, how the devil are you? I mean, when I say how the devil are you, it almost implies that you live in hell anyway. So this should well, be a <laughs> blessed relief. Uh, well, it is cooling down a bit, so it's not too bad, not too bad. But here we are in this um crest model and we're on the we're on the r of crest which is the return and this is episode two of the return who knew we would get two episodes out of just talking about returns but um we might yeah. even get a third might, might even get a third because uh, <laughs> at this rate at yeah. this rate so if you haven't listened to the the first episode, then you ought to do that. But I'll just briefly go over the the ten points that we covered, and then Nigel will launch into the second batch of ten. So we covered um, investors. Who are they? Are they institutional? Are they family offices? Are they private investors? If they're private investors, then they may not be looking for just simple cold hard cash. But usually, most investors will be looking for an interest rate, an interest rate that's usually a certain number of points above base. They might be looking for a cold hard cash return. They might be interested in the speed of return. In other words, I'm putting money in, but I want it out quick. Uh, they might be interested in the lump sum. They may be interested in regular amounts, monthly payments, monthly repayments. They may or may not want a personal guarantee. Uh, we talked about SAFE, S-A-F-E, which stands for Simple Agreement of Future Equity, which is not really for properties, but more for sort of startup scale-ups where you're uh, you've got several rounds of funding that are going to come in. And if you're one of the early investors, you just want to make sure that you've got uh, uh, an agreement on future equity. Uh, number eight, we covered property, which is instead of getting cash to things, you may uh, opt to get uh, an apartment from an apartment block. Or it could be that if you default, then the default payment would be titled to an apartment, something like that. We talked about JVs and investors sometimes want to uh, learn while they earn. In other words, they'll reduce an interest rate on the money they've loaned to you in return for sharing knowledge. And we talked about equity where they will take uh, equity in your company if there's not enough cash when the deal is complete, but there may be cash or there may be uh, cash that, that can be released in a couple of years time because the value of the property has gone up. So that was what we covered in the last episode. Now we're on to number 11, Nigel. So, oh, you're, you're paused, you're mute. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot about School that. Schoolboy error. Schoolboy error. Still, you know, Nigel, you're on mute. We'll and, edit that out. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's generally because I'm swearing quite loudly in the background or something like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we've, we've got another list here, part two of this list, and we're going to finish up with what we could probably call the wall of weird um as the final one with with some of the wacky uh, sort of things that we're aware of and, and know about in terms of re different returns but the first one I wanted to talk about here future rights so we talked about the equity sort of thing but also you might have something in the future whereby you are you have the right to to get something uh, as a result of it so it's like anything early adopters early investors often come in and it's it's that kind of Thank you very much for uh, taking the perceived additional risk 
because the project was in its early stages. The business was a fledgling business. You came in, you helped, you supported. And as a result of that, at some point in the future, as we hit certain points, milestones, achievements, whatever it might be, that will entitle you to additional amounts or additional rights to something. And Ray, these can be all sorts, can't they? They can be equity, they can be payouts, they could be, uh, you know, anything that you want to discuss uh, yeah. on those sort of things. So let's say I'm borrowing money to build your favorite thing, Ray, a golf course. Uh, <laughs> the, the future the future rights might be that you can uh, come and, you know, the first tee will be cleared. There'll be people with sticks beating the other golfers back whilst you approach as the original investor and you can tee off any time, day or night for nothing, something like that. You have the right to to act <laughs> like Donald Trump on a golf course sort of thing. So uh, it, th that might be something that is put into it. And never underestimate <laughs> when we come to the wall of weird, uh, in some ways, this this is the one that preempts that. Uh, never underestimate what people value because always think of a return and always try and get into the mindset of whoever has invested with you, even sometimes the institutional, uh, because we've all heard of lobbying. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, you know, what's been going on an awful lot here in, in UK politics has for years. Uh, I've met people who've done lobbying and I knew a guy in his firm and they had never lost when they did it at the EU and they always found the person. And what do they do? Well, they, they kind of hint at a future right to some sort of benefit if that person <laughs> happened to make a certain decision. And lo and behold, lo and behold, um, you know, they make that decision and, uh, and oh, yes, they suddenly do get that future right. So never underestimate what people value, what an investor values. And it's not always the obvious. So that's yeah. what we're talking about here. We're trying to throw into your mind some of these different ways of looking at it because it, it could be a way of doing things. So there you go. Future it's, rights. It's very common, for example, um, in woodland or, or uh, greenbelt land where, uh, let's say, a farmer sells some greenbelt land and he sells it for a price today, but he also looks to future rights. So if that land gets planning permission, then the farmer will get an uplift, something like that. It's the same with woodland. If you sell woodland and the woodland uh, is cleared and the land becomes eligible for planning or you know is sold on then the person sometimes two three say generations back can benefit from the future rights so yeah i think footballers footballers as well yeah. ray soccer players um you know it's 10 million but it could increase because if they play 25 first team games uh, it's another 2 million. If they get picked for the under 21 national team, it's another 2 million. Yeah. If they get picked for the full national team, it's another 5 million. And these things can, you know, accrue over, you know, the five years of the, of the deal or whatever it might be. So never yeah, and, underestimate uh, yeah. baking something in as a future right. And the youth academies, they, you know, some of them get paid quite well if they've had a player that's been on their academy since he was eight years old and then he gets to 16, 17, he gets in the first team, uh, the academy will get some money. And then if the first team sell him on to, you know, a, a, a bigger team for a bigger amount of money, then the youth academy will get something again there. So there's future rights built in there. So it's really, a, it's down to, I suppose, the imagination. Um, yeah, uh, right. It, it, it's interesting. We'll come on to it later on. 
But when we start talking about NFTs and smart mm. contracts, you can actually bake these future rights into the smart contract. And whenever that contract is enacted or the, the deal is done and that and that particular thing is transacted, those future rights that are coded into the smart contract trigger instantly. And there's some great value, great value in yeah. having that. So that, that's coming up later. But uh, next one. Next one is knowledge. Now, what do you mean by knowledge? Well, we talked about it, you know, um, someone might le um, lend and uh, what do you call it? Earn, earn and learn yeah, uh, or something like that. Um, what I was thinking here is, again, don't discount the fact that an investor might be curious about property, might be curious about your business. They might want to understand a little bit more about how you do a development, how you go from land to whatever it is. And again, they may adjust their interest rate or their return that they're expecting in exchange for some sort of knowledge. So you need to think to yourself, you know, one of the things that is great, isn't it, is when when the backer turns up. Uh, so if you think of all all the people that are uh, the sort of the heads of organizations, so the Olympics, they turn up for the opening ceremony, they make the speech, they wave to two billion people or whatever. You can bet your bottom dollar they didn't do, uh, you know, they didn't get out there and dig dig the hole that they built the stadium on or or whatever. They haven't stood there with a hose pipe filling the swimming pool or anything like that. They take the glory um, for it. So imagine you saying to someone, right, here we are, you can enjoy it. You get the knowledge of how it's kind of worked, but you don't mm. have to get your hands dirty. You can get the glory at the end of it for look at that kids. You know, I built that when actually you weren't really involved. We kept you posted and then you came and cut the ribbon when it opened sort of thing. So that knowledge, pseudo knowledge, real knowledge, whatever it is, there are people out there. I've, I know several people who have lent money in exchange for being involved when mm. they want to going on site, as you say, Ray, put the hard hat, high vis on and your boots on, uh, go have a look around, nod sagely, sort of go, Jesus, it's quite a, quite a bit more complicated than I thought. And then, uh, and then they get back in the car and they leave and they're quite happy with that. Uh, they feel like well, they've suddenly got the knowledge. We've probably all seen in um, in the city. We've seen the 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 capstone of a building or the foundation stone where it said, uh, you know, built by the generosity of and in somebody's name, or this stone was laid by council or such and such, or the Lord Mayor of so and so. Uh, I know a developer who was trying to line up uh, a number of investors for a deal, and. It was a good deal, and he was sort of trying to get them across the line, but couldn't quite. The money was okay, various things were okay, and then he said, "Well, okay." The first person he just he sent this email to about a dozen people, and he said, "The first person that pledges to put their money into this and signs an agreement will get their name on the foundation stone. We will carve it in stone that you were." And suddenly there was about half a dozen of them all kind of rushed back. Uh, so to... never mind knowledge, just think vanity and ego. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, next one up, number 13, I've got skills. So this is a little bit more than knowledge. This is where you, you are uh, getting involved and you are actually learning the skills where you can do it. And there are a number of investors who are looking to live uh, cash rich, time poor, um, they need the knowledge, but they want the skill to actually do it themselves, to feel confident enough to go away and do it. So 
learning, having the knowledge is great because you can talk about it in the pub or whatever. Uh, you can talk for, as if you know what you're doing. To actually get in a, a layer deeper and get the skill from it, this could be people who are looking to transition. And the world with the pandemic, a lot of people have paused and gone, I want to do something different. So you think about it. Um, some people have gone from city trading to making goat's cheese uh, and stuff like this. And, and this is where they've gone away and they've probably got involved with something. They found out a bit of, bit more about it but then the next layer is they invest in something where they actually see it start to finish and they pick up the skills of being actually able to make the goat's cheese sort of thing so the kind of this, yeah, <laughs> the, the same thing but but two different layers and i think the skill side is is someone an investor and this might be where you come as a jv and they might be uh looking to do this longer term and transition away from what they're doing and really get more in depth because they can see the growth they can see the potential themselves in that particular strategy yeah a subcategory uh, under skills is where you quite often see an architect and a surveyor getting together uh, to form a, a joint venture or to form a, an spv to do property and then they would step up to to raise investment and on paper that looks quite good and i i do recall one time where we had uh, a a a chap who was a surveyor who was now looking to do his own deals but his previous skills and knowledge and experience had come from 100 million plus projects he was now going to do a project that was only a million quid and he thought it would be an absolute shoe-in but what the investors were saying well okay you've got knowledge of 100 million pound deals but when it comes to a million pound deal you're going to have to do an awful lot of stuff yourself and he didn't actually get the investment because his skills and knowledge meant that anytime something came up, he would be he would be uh, deflecting to someone else or delegating to someone else. Well, in this case, he wouldn't have anyone to delegate to. So whilst you might think on paper, well, he's got all the skills and knowledge and experience, not really. He had the skills and knowledge and experience for 100 million pound plus projects, big, you know, big infrastructure projects, but not to do residential property for his own uh, for his own self and he didn't get the money and he was quite annoyed by that I do recall because <laughs> it was a presentation that was done to a room full of uh, investors at a law firm and it came across quite cocky I don't think that helped him either you know this is like oh I can do this absolutely no problem and then when he sort of was met with a, a wall of silence and <laughs> he was a bit taken aback but anyway right yeah, so the yeah. next one is uh, access to people yeah, what I'm thinking here is um, sometimes uh, an investor, again, totally they might be investing uh, in a totally different environment, totally different area of the market, totally different business uh, area, totally different market completely. And they may have been thinking, do you know what? I need to, I need to meet some people in that particular sphere. So... Uh, we always talk about the property world being relatively small. Uh, a lot of people know a lot of people or, or are aware of people. But if you're outside of that sphere, if you're outside of that market, you don't know necessarily anyone. So it might be that you're thinking, do you know what? I'd, I'd like to invest in something. I don't really know people. I haven't got my network there. Um, I want to get access to some good people who are doing these sort of things. And it, investing uh, in a project with those sort of people, never underestimate the fact that the investor might think, do you know what? Uh, 
yes, I'm getting a return, but actually the access to these people and the knowledge they've got, the skills they've got, the network they've got is actually very valuable to me. So just like you're thinking at the moment, listening to this podcast, how to raise money podcast, you're thinking if I, you know, I would really value access to people who are wanting to lend money, flip it on its head and think, yeah, sometimes investors are wanting access to people who actually do these things. So mm. again, it's one that maybe you thought, oh, I didn't know that, uh, or I discounted that, I'd ignored that. And there is potentially value in there. Um, so always, always talk about that. Always have a conversation and say, have you, you know, are you ever, have you ever been interested in this? Oh, what stopped you getting involved? Oh, well, there's some good people. I can introduce you to those. Um, and if you're part of this deal, then you get to meet these people. It yeah. might be something that is just maybe not the deal clincher, but it might just be a cherry on top that sweetens it a, a little bit. Mm, indeed. Okay. Right. Are we going to get into now our wall of weird or are we uh, to... no, no, that's <laughs> but we'll do, yeah, we'll go we'll go bonus next. Number 15, bonus. Okay, a bonus. Um well bonuses can can be in a variety of forms. Um uh, and I think some of them some of them creep into the wall of weird <laughs> as a as a bonus. Um well I'm I'm oh. thinking I'm thinking, Ray, on this one. Uh I was thinking kind of straightforward bonus. Um it can be a bonus in terms of if if we do it, if we sell it for more. So let's say you're lending on a property deal and you say, we estimate we'll sell the houses for 350,000 each. If we sell it for more, uh, we'll give you 25% of any anything above 350. So yeah. not only are you getting the return, but there's a potential there for an additional amount if the market moves in your favor. Yeah, I do recall one that was structured and the bonus was where there were six or seven investors involved. They were selling, uh, it was apartments and the apartments were selling. And in order to get the investors uh, motivated, they'd said that um, the first five, I think it was the first five apartments that would be sold would generate a bonus of £5,000. And then the onus was on the investors to try and find buyers for the for the five so what they did was they allocated let's say investor one got allocated apartments number one to five and two got six to ten and so on and so on and then they went out to try and sell that apartment and knowing that they get a bonus so that was um an interesting I like incentive. it, it yeah i like well. it it's an interesting incentive that worked quite well yeah so folks just think is there a bonus is there something else again not not a fundamental but again another little maybe the hundreds and thousands sprinkled on top of this uh, particular um, cupcake or, or whatever you want to call it. But, yeah. but there you go. Yeah. Okay. Next is um, penalties. Now penalties are um, things that will kick in if n not everything goes according to plan. And uh, over the last two years, certainly that has happened quite a bit where developments have stalled for a variety of reasons because obviously the pandemic came in and you couldn't get people on site and then the supply chain issues and so on and so on. So quite a lot of these things kicked in. Um, in the majority of cases, most investors have actually been quite quite good using sort of common sense because there is a, a, a thing in, in Scots law, which is called unjustified enrichment, in that if you're an investor and let's say you've invested a couple hundred thousand pounds in a project, 
And that project overruns through no fault of the developer. So, for example, the pandemic, the lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. Then uh, the penalty clause can't really kick in because it wasn't the fault of the developer. So we had quite a few of these discussions with investors uh, to basically say, well, look, you know, I, I know that the, the penalty, for example, would go from, um, let's say, a 0.5% per month return to a 1% or a 1.5% penalty if the money's not returned by a certain date. And I have to say, in the majority of cases, most investors accepted that and said, okay, fair enough. Um, and there was a negotiation then done so that neither side was... Um, was kind of out of pocket but where one investor did try and dig his heels in and was looking for a sort of well most people were taking a 10 percent return on the project this this person was looking for a 30 percent return same project same amount of money but he was demanding his penalties be um, enforced uh, it was in scotland and when it was quoted that uh, that could be unjustifiable enrichment and it could be challenged in the courts and the developer had legal expenses insurance cover so that he wasn't going to be out of pocket. The developer uh, had a change, sorry, the lender had a change of heart and finally agreed that perhaps, okay, well, yeah, okay, I'll I'll toe the line with everyone else. But um, that's not always the case. Penalties usually uh, can uh, occur when you've gone over on a development. And Nigel, you know about some uh, developments that have gone over? Yeah, yeah, it's... Um... It, it's tricky. And what are they looking for? They're, when we go back to some of the earlier ones, number three, speed of return. Uh, typically, when it's non-institutional, uh, timing and the speed of the uh, repayment of the loan is key, is key. And in order to, to make someone, now this is where your investor will use their shrewdness and their judgment and their experience to sort of look at a project and think really is, are they really going to do that in six months? How many TV programs do you see where people are doing property and oh, lo and behold, it overruns and costs twice as much. Well, yep. th that's pretty much par for the course. Uh, so in, in terms of a return, an investor is not going to just say, look, here's the money. We want it in six months, but, uh, uh meh, you know, that sort of, response that your kids give you when you ask them to to go do something urgently like get ready get ready we're going out in two minutes and it's yeah meh, <laughs> that sort of thing investors aren't going to do that and they're going to want on there some sort of penalty clause that as they see is kind of the carrot and the stick approach you know it's going to do both um in terms of making you have some urgency so where it is you just being a bit, eh, you know, there's no pressure. I can afford the returns or whatever. The penalty clauses are there to to just give them a, a little bit of comfort. But also be careful because some investors might be looking at it going, they've not got a hope in hell of doing this in six months. And look at those penalty clauses. Mm. We're going to be quids in. So they give you a really low interest rate for the initial six months, potentially, and you think this is great, but the penalty clauses are absolute kickers. And you need to sort of think to yourself, all right, am I giving too much away on that? You know, do I need to pay a more sensible thing so that the penalties aren't quite as significant? Or do I need to give myself an agree? It's not six months. Let's do 12 months before these penalty clauses kick in. So this mm. is a bit of a bartering thing. This is a thing to be aware of. This is something that I've seen people, I've sat and I've listened as 
the game plan was to offer something and then they felt the investor was had a bit of a poker face and they were sort of keeping their cards close to their chest and the person was panicking and they began to offer more and more in terms of, well, we can up the penalty clause that, you know, we could do this. If we don't do it by that, we'll give you this and I'll give you my kids and, you know, I'll, I'll do this and I'll buy you coffee for the rest of your life. Yeah. And they started throwing all sorts in and it was kind of just chill, calm down, <laughs> don't panic, don't give away too much because these penalty clauses can kick in and it could be, yes, it could be the thing that makes the investor invest, but they're only doing it because they know that you'll never hit your targets and they are going to get a big fat payday at the end of it. Um, so just think about it and think, why are they wanting those penalty clauses? It's probably a combination of making you do things in a timely fashion, keeping on track of the, you know, on in control of the project and also to have a bit of a a bit of a, a stick you know instead of the carrot a bit of a stick if you start messing about and, and and you know you're not really focused so just be careful of penalty clauses yes they may want them but you need to make sure that they are not onerous and could cripple I do, you um i do recall seeing one agreement and uh it was run by me the 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 developer said um got an agreement here what do you think of this can you just cast your eye over it and i looked on it and it said penalty clause 10 percent. now you would have thought well uh, you know is that one percent 1. 1.0 is that what it meant to be but but in brackets next to it it said t-e-n t-e-n p-e-r-c-e-n-t-u-m 10 percentum uh, per month and I said to the guy, I said, what is this? I said, now, 1% a month or two. I've seen three, but I've never seen 10. And he said, well, the guy wanted to be sure that he got paid back first because he has a certain um, anniversary event, a trigger event that he has to have the money back for. So he wanted to really focus our minds and make sure that he got, he got paid first. And we'd have to do whatever it took to get that money back to him. Now, it wasn't a huge amount. I mean, it was like 35 grand or something like that, but in the great scheme of things, but still it was just, so yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you know, I had, I had a chat with a guy years ago playing golf with him and uh, he was helping the electrification of the, um, the London leads to, no, London to York, Edinburgh, East Coast mainline. And they were doing the pilings for, you know, when they're, having to raise bridges and do various things so things could fit underneath with the the cables on and his contract penalty clause he had liquidated damages so in other words if you went over you had a penalty and his penalty was a thousand pounds a minute that he went over on these things i said how is that he said oh you focused <laughs> you definitely focused <laughs> on that because you know it was, a, it was a great contract but he said an hour going over you suddenly you've lost yeah. it on that particular bit and he said and we had loads of these over the sort of three four hundred miles of track and i went a thousand pounds a minute he said oh yeah and they come and they're there with watches <laughs> you know to know but mm. yeah there you go so just be careful don't get carried away folks on your offering penalties it may get you the money but it may cripple you down the line so yeah, there indeed. you go all right uh, so next uh, is profit sharing. So we yeah. talked about uh, as a return, a profit share. Um, yeah, so this is this is hard baked from the off. Um, yeah. This is, you know, 
we're going to give you this, 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 and this very much rather than the flexible, uh, let's see how it goes. And if we get this or whatever, these are um, an element of much lower interest rates in exchange from the off for the profit share. Whereas some of the others I was thinking, you know, if you give people a bonus, you give them an extra, that mm. is if, if something happens, this is, um, well, you've got to be careful because the profit share could be something that's good for a developer, but not necessarily good for a lender because it depends on how the profit is calculated. So oh, yes, you've oh, obviously yes. got to get <laughs> you've obviously got to get that formula absolutely correct because what you don't want is the developer piling in every single cost he can think of and then going, oh well, there isn't any profit left in this deal. Um, so they can be a double-edged sword. Um, just uh, and Nigel, you being the accountant, will know what I mean. By, by, well. By that. I mean, the, there are some accountants where, you know, the business will say, how much money have you made, have we made this year? And the accountant will say, well, how much money do you want to have made this year? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and that's the way it is. Uh, you look at the world at the moment, everyone's announcing enormous profits in the energy companies. Why is that? Because the future in, here in the UK, future windfall tax is going to be based on uh, profits from a certain date. So what they're doing is they are dragging everything in, assuming everything's going to be amazing now, declaring enormous profits. That then gets excluded from the windfall tax calculations. And in the future, what they'll say is, well, we took the profit last time because we thought we were going to be good, but we think we've got some bad debt. So look at this. We've made a loss <laughs> next yep. quarter. We've made yep. a loss. So it's it's classic. Banks do it all the time. Um, and they they declared massive losses as they wrote off everybody's loans over the pandemic, um, made them seem like the good guys. And then all of a sudden, when they came out of the pandemic, uh, they released all these things and said, well, maybe we were a bit cautious. Maybe mm -hmm. some of these people will repay. And writing off 100% of everything we've lent out was a bit dramatic. So we'll release it back. Look at that. We've made profits, folks. It's all mm -hmm. smoke and mirrors, folks. It's mm -hmm. all smoke and mirrors. But there uh, you are. That's from an accountant. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't do it because thankfully I'm not involved in that side of things at all uh, anymore, which is good. Uh, but number 18. Adding on to that, going forwards from that, tax efficiency. Never, um, again, ignore the fact that uh, your investor may be in a position where his investment helps with tax efficiency. But mm -hmm. the thing is, folks, he might not be aware that it could be tax efficient. And maybe this is where, right, you, you've done this, you're involved in stuff, yeah. aren't you, where there is tax efficient ways of investing in other projects which can save an awful lot of tax that are unnecessary to pay. Yeah, well, Not that we're common, advocating dodging tax. What no, we're saying most, is being the efficient. Common, the most common scheme would be the enterprise investment scheme. Um, now, enterprise investment scheme essentially allows a company to, to borrow money and give the lender um, tax incentives. And those tax incentives are that there would be no capital gains tax on the uplift. Uh, if you know if there is an uplift and there's capital gains tax to be made, they they wouldn't have to pay any. Um, but there are certain limitations on it. You obviously have to take your own advice as to whether you know take your own tax advice as to whether you can be an EIS investor ready company, or if you can be an EIS investor. And there's another thing called SEIS, which is Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme. Now these are generally for companies, the startup scale ups that are looking to raise money. Generally, not so much for property companies, although there are a few exceptions where property companies can um, 
qualify for EIS status, Enterprise Investment Scheme status. And uh, that's something you probably want to look at. Uh, some other tax efficient um, plays are research and development. There may be research and development grants. There may be situations where stamp duty can be looked at uh, and, and could be efficient or um, there's capital allowances that could be uh, part of the deal. Again, all of these things are there to be looked at, but you've got to know that they exist. Now, I've spoken to a number of developers and mentioned capital allowances, for example, uh, and they have been completely unaware of them. One there recently, and there's a capital allowance specialist who uh, listeners to this podcast may know his name's Arthur Weller. If you need to get in touch with him, send us an email to hello at hdrmoney.co.uk and we'll send on the details. But Arthur Weller is a capital allowances specialist, and I've referred him a number of times to a number of developers, including a developer who'd been around for 20 years and was completely unaware that there was such a thing. Um, other tax efficiencies are, did you know that you can buy commercial property and you can opt out of VAT? So we've had that recently where uh, a property was for sale. It was two and a half million plus VAT. And there is a form that you can fill in to opt out of the VAT. Um, and it's not that difficult, but it's, it's about knowing. Even the agent who was selling the property did not know that the purchasing, prop, the purchasing company could opt out of VAT. Now, if you bundle all these things together, I can think of one case a couple of years back where we worked with a developer and saved him over £600,000 in taxes that he would have paid uh, had he not known about it. But once it was pointed out to him, there was over £600,000 worth of savings made. Now, that cost him about, I think it was £37,000 or something in fees to put in place. But to pay £37,000 to save over £600,000 is, is a, a good, smart move. And when it comes to the profitability of the project, it definitely works out. Now, in some cases as well, you may have already paid the tax, but you can reclaim it. And again, it's about knowing what to look at and knowing where, where to look at. Um, so capital allowances uh, can be claimed usually once on a building. You have to find out if the previous company has claimed capital allowances. If not, then you can claim capital allowances on the plant machinery, on the work that you're doing, and so on and so on. So it can amount to quite a bit. So there was one there recently where just over a million pounds was spent on a development, and the capital allowances that came out of it were 213,000. And you might think, well, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that's 213,000 pounds that that company doesn't have to pay in tax because they can offset it. So these are useful things to know about. But again, take your own tax advice. We're not here to give tax advice. We're just here to make you aware that some of these things are available. Yeah, so on the capital allowances, you get an allowance that you can offset against your profit on a reducing balance. So have a look at that. It, it, they won't just give you 200 grand. No. You, you've got to make profit. So if you've got a business that never makes a profit, having capital allowances or not, uh, the last time I looked at it, it didn't make the blindest bit of difference. They just sat there and it was mm -hmm. like an unused expense that you could offset against your profit almost. Um, but yeah, you've got a rollover. Voucher. A discount voucher. You yeah. can never... <laughs> There you go. You've got rollover relief for investors, but never underestimate. Again, I keep saying it because you've got to be aware of these things. The investor may be totally blasé and in the dark about these sort of things and their investment not only could it help relieve the potential tax bill they've got on 
let's say they've sold something, done something, suddenly got a pot of money, they're going to have to pay tax on it. They could invest in something like this, defer the tax, um, not be, you know, become ineligible to pay the tax sort of thing. So it, it's a very efficient way of doing things. And have a look and talk to people about pension money, because depending on what the uh, the loan is, if someone's lending from a pension and their trustees are happy to do that, then any gain that they make goes back into their pension. And obviously that could be tax efficient as well. So it could be that, um, you know, companies have a lot of money. The directors have very little in their pension pot. The company could make, you know, contributions to their pension and then they could use that pension to actually uh, do some investments as well. So there's loads out there, as we say, we're not talking, you know, this is definitely it. Be aware of it, raise it in a conversation, put it out there and talk to the investor about it because it could be tax efficient for you, but it could be super tax efficient for them, especially if they have held money in various things. They've released it. They're freeing up their, their cash. Uh, they're at that time of life. They're trying to do it, trying to do different things. There could be huge tax efficiencies in there. And it might just be that the investment is kind of, yeah, maybe, but the tax efficiencies make it, oh my goodness, you know, that could be a 40% bonus here on mm -hmm. that. So get into the conversation with them about it and uh, yeah, have some, have some good robust discussions about potential planning on that side of things. Next up, uh, Ray, I've got down here 19 long-term relationships. So again, this builds on a lot of things. What I was thinking here is your investor may well just like what you're doing. Uh, you get to know them, you know, become friends with them. They want to be involved. It could be they lend you money, you repay it. They lend it to you again down the line and they, you repay it. And, and it becomes something that as you build up, we'll talk about it as the T of trust uh, on this sort of thing. But as you, you build it up, um, you must have seen it numerous times where someone who's who's done an investment, been repaid, you know, how much easier is it to get the money out of the investor second time around when the first one went smoothly? Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it, you know, it's so much easier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah much easier. Absolutely. Um, I know uh, of some investors that have invested uh, six times with one developer. Uh, others have done it two, three, four times. So uh, it's not uncommon because, you know, it's the devil, you know, as it were. Yeah. And it all, it all yeah. comes down to communication. How are you communicating? Are you, you know, sending a follow-up Friday? Are you letting them know what's going on, the good and the bad? Um, because, you know, th there's going to be hurdles. Nothing is going to go completely smoothly. And for the best long-term relationship, it's best to keep in touch, phone them up every week if you agree at a certain time or send an email, something like that, and just try and keep them in touch. Uh, with what's going on. Now, you'll often have periods of time where there's nothing happening, you know, absolutely nothing happening, um, in which case send an email that just says nothing happening, still thinking about you, that sort of thing, um, just so they know you're still alive and you're still around because you may not be, uh, you know, geographically co-located. We've got investors that are uh, in Scotland investing in things that are in the southeast, southwest, and we've got investors in the southeast and southwest that are investing in the north of England, that sort of thing. So they're physically distant. Um, but it's always a good idea for a long-term relationship to send photographs, keep in touch, send an email, um, you know, with WhatsApp and things like that. You can always send send photos of an or a quick video of an update, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, think about it like this. Any investor, uh, ultimately, we're all lazy. Um, and is it easier to lend to someone that you've done a deal with before? It worked well. It was great. Good relationship. Get on well with them. You know, you've had a meal, had a drink, you've been there and all the rest of it. Is it easier to do another one with them or go through the rigmarole of due diligence, finding out everything about a new person, new project and all the rest of it? Well, the answer is obvious. So think of it like this. Look at look at doing this. What's in it for the investor? Long term relationship. It makes their investments quicker, easier and, and, and much more enjoyable. Um, so don't don't sort of forget about that one. It, it is good for both parties if you can do a long-term relationship. So number 20, Ray, what we got down here? Use of the asset. Yes. Now, so yes. this could be uh, you might have invested into Airbnb. You might have invested into a hotel. You might have invested into a restaurant. You might have invested into something, you know, boats, cars, whatever it happens to be. And uh, a use of the asset could be uh, something that the investor is interested in. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I was, you're in the, interested in that area of use of the asset. Yeah, I was thinking kind of commercial buildings, mixed use buildings, yep. uh, open office space. So maybe uh, they are doing a, a, a kind of one of these work collaboratives or whatever. And, and they can, you know, they can turn up and, and hold meetings there whenever they want. They can they've got use of a conference facility. They've got uh, use of um, they can put they they happen to do laundry a laundrette still a thing but um it it might be okay we we want to do that and we want to use it um you know we want to put our people in there so we'll invest in it and the on the basis that we get preferential use of that building it mm. could be we want to stay if it's a hotel yeah i want to come and stay whenever i want um it could be anything in terms of that and one of the things that um i um, you know, we, we've talked about this, Ray, but I've been looking at number 22. So use of an asset and looking at number 22, NFTs and crypto uh, in terms of um, an investor and whether they do things. Why do people buy NFTs? Uh, well, I've got another podcast that uh, I've, I've been doing and, and starting, um, which is the Property and NFT Show. But in there, it, it's talking about why would you buy an NFT? And for some people, it's uh, because- For those that are listening, Nigel, explain what an NFT is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. So non-fungible token. What is it? It's something that's unique. It can't be changed. It's all digital. It's all crypto-based. It's all on the blockchain. It's all this, this weird stuff. But essentially, what people think of it is uh, a piece of pixelated art or something that looks a bit weird. Uh, with a price tag of gazillions of dollars for it, with actually no real value behind it. And one of the things that I was looking at here is, and, and the different take on it is, if you've got an NFT, you can buy and sell it, trade it, uh, you, can, you can purchase something, and what is it? Okay, it might be a piece of art, it might be a piece of music, it might be something else. What's behind it? Can I use it? Can I do anything with it? Well, you can put it on your computer and stare at the piece of art, I suppose. You could print it off if you wanted, but maybe not so much. But when you're looking at this use of an asset, well, what about if you combined an NFT with 
uh, the ability to use the asset behind it. So where's the value behind it? Think of the NFT as more like a ticket, which is uh, an entry ticket to being able to enjoy the economic rights and benefits of something. And this is a, an interesting way. And what's an investor looking for maybe when they buy an NFT? Well, yeah, they either like it, they want to support someone by paying them directly, um, or they're looking to make some money on it. And the money and the value of it is dependent on the, the value behind the NFT. What does that ticket get you? And uh, for this, perhaps it gets you the use of an asset. So for an investor, maybe you could say, oh, by the way, by the way, you could lend me this money. I'm going to, as part of that, I'm going to give you a couple of NFTs and those NFTs give you the right to enjoy this, that, or the other. So maybe Ray, we could put this podcast behind an NFT and say, okay, you could, in order to enjoy this podcast, you need to buy an NFT. That NFT gives you the right to be able to uh, download our podcast in the future. And, you know, some people might say that's crazy. So, well, okay, what if we added training courses into that? So there's value behind it. So not only do you get the podcast, you get training courses about how to raise money. And people might go, all right, now it's got some value because I can enjoy that. I can enjoy that. There's a bit of an asset there and I can enjoy it. And you can take it to any extreme folks. So early days on this, we will come back and talk about it in depth, Ray, I think, um, and explain to people about the potential for this uh, using uh, the crypto world, Web 3.0, uh, NFTs, but start thinking in your head, folks, about if you said, I don't want to go to a bank to raise the money and I don't want a GoFundMe page, mm -hmm. is there another alternative? And that's that's one of the things that's potentially there, folks. So there you go, 22. But um, let's, I tell you what, Ray, we've been teasing people. <laughs> Come on, let's, the final one, the wall of weird. And when we're talking about this, the wall of weird. So what are investors wanting as a return? So the wall of weird is the things that you probably thought you got to be kidding me. Really? And, and the answer is potentially yes. And in some cases, yes, it, it has happened. So go on, Ray. What are some of the things you've seen? Well, historically, um, when there's been a bit of an impasse where an investor has said to a developer or a startup or a, a founder of a company or something like, look, I really do want to invest in it, but uh, you've got to sweeten the deal for me. There's not enough in it. Is there anything else you can add? Um, you know, and all sorts of things can come out the woodwork. So the ones I do recall were, for example, what about something that money can't buy? So the, 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 the borrower knew of ways to get backstage tickets, for example, to VIP events. So you could get this money can't buy where there were some well-known entertainers coming to town and the lender was given a couple of tickets for him and his kids to go backstage into the green room to meet with the stars, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the things that money can't buy. Um, other things such as, uh, I, I do recall another guy who had a brother-in-law that was involved with Formula One and could get um, grid passes. So again, the, the lender had a couple of teenage sons. One of them was big into motor racing and all this kind of carry on. And he got him some uh, 
you know, tickets to go on the grid at Silverstone when the British Grand Prix was there uh, as part of the deal. So it didn't cost the investor anything, but he could, you know, claim the bragging rights and um, get the best dad of the year award by taking his teenage <laughs> teenage sons to, to the grid. So it was really a sort of about thinking outside the box and what else. Um, you had someone so, that wanted a car, a specific type of car. And that's if they right, could, yeah. If they could get the car, they were going to be that's, happy with the deal. That's exactly right. He said, well, you know, I, I need a new car and I fancy this car. And I, it was a Mercedes uh, SL 500 or something, which I think had a ticket price of about 62 grand. But the borrower had, again, a relative who was involved in the motor trade and who managed to get one at cost. So it was something like 43,000 or something like that. So the perception to the investor was that he'd got this 60 odd thousand pound car, but the, the, actual, the actual cost to the borrower was was 20 grand less. So, uh, and I think I, I equated that. To, it's a bit like in, in, you know, if you're in a restaurant and the waiter spills food or drink or all, all over you and you complain and they say, well, how can we remedy this? And you say, well, there's a bottle of wine on there. It's 20 quid. I'll have that. And the restaurant will gladly provide it because that bottle of wine only cost the restaurant about six or seven quid. Um, but your perception is that you're getting this, this fantastic value. So it's, it's things that cost you as the borrower very little but have a high perceived value. And that could be, you know, you know somebody who owns a spa and they'll do you a favor so that the investor can take his wife away for the weekend or- No, um, that, wasn't, that wasn't what I was thinking there. Well, I've that seen one. that happen. I have seen that happen. Yeah. I've also seen, I've also seen or, or know of a developer whose uh, family had um, malt whiskey, very sort of- Nice. Rare and expensive malt whiskey. And he said, okay, as part of the deal, if we do this deal, I'll include a bottle of this whiskey because in conversation with the the lender, he found out that he was quite a bit, a bit of a whiskey buff. So to him, this was, you know, the thing, money can't buy. Can't get this anywhere, but you've got one, you know, and that, that sealed the deal there. So yeah, I, it's about I mean, being creative. It, it is. And interesting. Uh, I was thinking, um, do you remember that time when uh, there was that guy uh, Woody, and he he needed to raise money, and um, his wife Demi, um, he actually gave her away to the weekend for a weekend to that guy called Robert, or, or was that a film? I Indecent can't remember. Proposal. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's a million dollars. All right, don't go that far, folks. Uh, but I tell I tell you what, who often we we blokes we talk about things as if we're in in charge we're not we know we're not and um if if you could do something that would be amazing for the partner of the person that you you're with that could be the thing that swings the deal you don't you know don't don't think it couldn't possibly be so because it potentially could but here's i just thought of one here ray why people would invest and if you have a think about Elon Musk and Richard Branson, what are they both doing that a lot of people would pay a lot of money for? Um, never mind a return. It's going into space, isn't it? So I bet the waiting list is of people who are effectively Richard Branson, Elon Musk are raising money. But are you get what return are you going to get? You're not even going to get your money back. It's It's like, you know, you're just raising money here and you are then raising them up mm -hmm. to the edge of space sort of thing. So it could be something that you could do or you have access to that has no monetary value to you, but an enormous monetary value 
to the investor and it it could be anything it could be a ride on a horse it could be a ride in a helicopter <laughs> it could be a ride on a boat it could be a painting that you hate and uh you'd be quite happy and they just think is amazing and um you know that might be well i'll give you the painting if you want who knows yeah. it could mm. be you buy them a sandwich it could be you are just polite you are just polite you are friendly you are a nice person uh, manners might be the thing that the investor is looking for in return they want to be treated well they want to be treated kindly and they want to be treated in a, a very professional and courteous manner and and that yeah. might be the return they're looking for the money do, yeah and, I, and I, everything I, else is it's irrelevant it's I the experience one. I, the friendship recall, who knows i recall another one that, that swung the deal which was the investor um was a sailor or a sailor, he had his own boat, his yacht, that sort of thing. And in the conversation, he talked about a boat that he was buying, which was in somewhere like Sardinia or whatever it was. And his biggest challenge was getting the boat from Sardinia back to Southampton or on the south coast or wherever it was. And the developer's brother had a had a license. Um, so that got bundled into part of the deal where the brother would fly out to Sardinia and basically um, captain the boat all the way back to the UK. It, which as a favor to his brother, but helped out the investor who in turn um, decided to, you know, put a bit more money into the project. So there you go. So you never so, know. You never know. You never do, do you? Okay. So quickly to whiz through those. So we came back and this time we had future rights to something in the deal. Uh, the knowledge that you could uh give the investor so they might be keen to get the knowledge they might be keen to go another layer deeper and get the skills they might want access to the people you know um and so don't you know ignore that one uh it could be a bonus that you bake in um that you say if this happens then we give something or you could just throw a bonus on top and and they might just love the idea of that um penalties be careful on penalties what you offer and what you get back for it there could be a baked-in profit share. This is how we're going to do it, but be careful on how you calculate it. Tax efficiency, both for yourself, but the investor. And the investor may be totally unaware that if they don't do the deal with you and they put the money in the bank, they may have a crippling tax bill. So the investment might be a great way of being tax efficient. Uh, Long-term relationship. It's easier for investors to do come back and do repeat business with you than going through the rigmarole of trying to find out who the um, who's involved in a deal. So long-term relationships could be good. There is potential for the investor to use the asset, enjoy the benefits of the asset as well, and that might swing the deal. It might be good, the cherry on top. NFTs and crypto, we're going to talk more about that, but there is the potential for future gains on a different asset class, which could be NFTs linked to the deal. And then the wall of weird where you, you let your imagination run wild and you offer all sorts of things, um, uh, give people all sorts of uh, access to things. Typically think down the lines of an experience type day um, or something like that. Something that uh, is very hard to come by. Um, I know uh, there was one golf tournament for the Masters at one point, putting your name down on the on the uh, waiting list for tickets. Uh, they closed the list when it was longer than life expectancy uh, because these tickets tended to be handed down to their family. And so getting in was very hard. So if you suddenly got access to that, wow, you jumped the queue. 
um, investors love that sort of thing. So there you go. You never know. You might even go up into space. Ray, how's our fundraising going for our, our moonshot uh, space exploration <laughs> company going, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need to get enterprise investment relief first. Yeah. Uh, so. There you go. So a big long list, hopefully that has helped when it's, when you're thinking about the returns that an investor wants in order to not only, not only give them the irresistible offer that will make them stop scrolling, but also the irresistible return. And it's not folks, just money. Indeed. Okay, fantastic. I've been Ray McLennan. I'm Nigel T. Best. See you soon, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?